Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So the U.S. Youth National Team U-20s is down in Central America right now participating in the CONCACAF U-20 Championship, and it's been an absolute blast to watch. But I think the question on everybody's minds is, what's going to happen to these players after they leave this tournament? Who's going to end up being the big star that's coming out of this? Are there anybody, any of these players are going to contribute to the national team at some point? And in order to get down to the bottom of this, I'm bringing on a man who keeps a very close eye on just about all the youth products uh, in, in the United States. He is Gideon Sutherland. Gideon, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, Gideon, the fun thing about these youth tournaments is I know um, I I keep a, a I watch the uh, youth prospects. I have an idea of like who's coming out, but I know somebody like yourself. It, this is something that you know you keep an eye on all the time. And whenever we get to these big tournaments. You get to see all these players against some decent competition, and it's just a really, really fun experience to kind of get to see what these guys actually look like up close and personal. So I'm curious, uh, coming into the tournament, have there been any like surprises for you? Anything you weren't expecting uh, so far with some of these players? Yeah, I'd say there has been for sure. I think uh, whether or not that's been players who haven't necessarily lived up to what I thought they could be, like Michael Holiday, who... It's been sort of iffy at me on the back uh, as a backup to Mauricio Cuevas or someone like uh, uh, Puskas, who's been quite phenomenal uh, playing either the six or the eight for the midfield, in my opinion, or even a Diego Luna, who I thought was going to be more of a rotational guy, really making himself almost the star of this team. I think there's been a lot of uh, players who stake their claims uh, this tournament, and it's been really fun to watch. Diego Luna has emerged as like the fan favorite, I think, uh, so far in this tournament. Everybody's talking about him. And one thing interesting about Diego Luna's story is he's a USL product. He came out of uh, El Paso Locomotive. And if you look at the roster for this U20 team, I would say 98% of them are MLS guys. And I, I, technically, Diego Luna is an MLS guy right now. Uh, but I'm curious your thoughts on... Um, the whole pipeline between USL and MLS does not really seem to be a thing, really. You don't see a lot of players going from USL to MLS. What, what's going on with the USL clubs? Are they developing players? Is, 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 what, what's going on with that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, quite a few players that are being developed by the USL. As of right now, I know some Premier League clubs have shown interest to a few of the players who are on the U19 that played in the USL that scored against uh, that played against England. Um, so uh, there's quite a bit. I mean, you, I think the USL is a great route, especially for defenders, because defenders don't necessarily get that shot until later on. And we're seeing them get that shot in the USL. I mean, you see Josh Winder, who's been a starter for Louisville, one of the best teams in the USL six, since 16. And then you see another guy in this under 20 uh, cycle, Kobe Henry, who is a starter for Orange County after leaving Inter Miami and is now going to France. Uh, and at the age of 18, so it's a pretty big deal. So I think there's definitely a pathway, and I really like uh, defenders taking that pathway versus attackers who are more ample to get shots in MLS anyways. Yeah, it's it's surprising whenever I was reading up on uh, Diego Luna's transfer. His transfer was for like $250,000 to go to RSL, and it was, one I think, the biggest transfer in in USL history or something like that. From USL to MLS, yeah. I was surprised that that's the case. You would think that there's more, there would be more transfers going on between those two leagues, and it's just 
not something that's materialized. But anyway, let's get to this team. So I think coming into the tournament, one of the big questions was uh, who's going to play striker? Uh, not a lot of like true strikers in this roster. Um, we've seen a few guys play in that role. I think Paxton Aronson was the guy in the latest game. Uh, tell me about that position, what you've seen from, from guys occupying that role. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, and the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, I think we've seen someone, like, obviously, Varhas has tried to do uh, a false nine primarily this tournament. Um, personally, I think it's pretty obvious who should be our nine. I think that should be Quinn Sullivan. Uh, Sullivan just has that, that nine mentality. He's technical enough for the hold-up play. He makes the runs. He scores. He's clinical. Uh, he's great in front of girl. So I think, and he doesn't really produce as much as he does on the wing as he does centrally. So. Paxton's been great there. Obviously, he had a great game the other day, but he was playing a bit further back in the 10. And then uh, Tyler Wolf, I haven't really been too impressed with, but that's not his fault. That's just the level of play around him. Now, Quint Sullivan uh, has scored a bunch of goals in this U-20 tournament. He is a uh, one of the many Philadelphia Union guys on the roster. Um, what were your expectations for Quint Sullivan coming into this tournament, and do you think he's going to be able to carry some of this goal scoring back to uh, Philadelphia Union, or is this just a situation where um, the, the players around him are creating a lot of opportunities and he's just getting in the right spots and kind of putting them away? Yeah, I mean, Quint Sullivan has been consistently the best scorer for the U.S. under-20 this cycle it coming into this tournament. So I expect it's more of the same uh, from that. I mean, he had a hat-trick in 17-ish minutes versus River Plate. He had another goal. Uh, he had a few goals in Revelation Cup and so on. So, like, he's been scoring loads. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that will translate back to Philly because of how great Philly are doing. They haven't really been giving their young players a shot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they rotate the the core four young players, Brandon, mm-hmm. Matt Muglin, Aronson, and Sullivan, if they rotate them in and out. But I don't know if there's like consistency there to really yeah. rack up them goals. Let's stick with Philly and move to uh, Paxton Aronson. I, I know Paxton Aronson is a player that a lot of people circled coming into this MLS season as a guy that could potentially have a breakout year, uh, log a lot of MLS minutes, may emerge as like a big uh, transfer prospect or, or something like that. We haven't seen him get get a lot of minutes in MLS so far this season. Uh, what, what's your read on that, and and what do you think he how how do you think he's been performing in this tournament? I mean, I think Paxton's been pretty great. You. You see him on the dribble. You see him on the runs. He's been lively. He's had shots, albeit hasn't had a lot of goals yet. But you saw that he finally started putting it together in the last game against Costa Rica. I think Paxton is just in a weird spot where the guy in front of him is Gazdag, who's been playing really good this year for Philly Union, and Philly Union are number one. So he hasn't really had that opportunity to get consistent minutes. I'm not particularly worried about him though i think i mean he already has interest from european teams and he's continuing to perform on this level so uh, until we see continued uh, non-integration i don't think we should really be too too worried 
Do you think he's one of the players that's ready? Do you think he can make that trip? I know there's rumors about like um, Paxton replacing his brother at uh, RB Salzburg. Do you think that's something that could be in the cards for Paxton right now, or should he uh, remain in MLS and kind of establish himself there? I think it all depends on uh, Jim Curtin's plans and the communication between the two players. If Curtin really doesn't have a plan for integration of Aronson and you see him wanting to integrate other young players, which is completely possible with how talented that Philly core is. Um, maybe it is time to jump. And I think uh, the way that Salzburg have integrated young players over the past uh, few years and then sold, sold them on, it wouldn't necessarily be the worst situation to go to. And I don't think, uh, I don't think Austria is that much of a step up from the MLS. So I don't, it would just, it wouldn't be too much of a culture shock to me. I think uh, maybe Maybe Salzburg is a bit too big of a step up, but at the same time, I'm, I wouldn't be too worried because he has uh, he has people who have already got, gone through that system who can help him out. So let's let's move out to the wingers, and I think some of the big headline players coming into this tournament were the wingers, specifically uh, Caden Clark and Cade Cow. And there's been a lot of discussion about both those players. Let's start with uh, Caden Clark. Um, sort of like Paxton Aronson um, has has had um, a, a lot of expectations for what he would do in MLS this season so far. He, he hasn't gotten the opportunity to get on the field much for New York Red Bulls. Uh, he's coming to this tournament, and we've seen the quality from him on the ball. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that he's been super integral to what the USU 20s are doing throughout this tournament. What, what's kind of your, your take on um, on Kate, Caden Clark so far? Yeah, Caden Clark, I think he's just between like a rock and a hard place. Uh, he doesn't really get along with his New York Red Bull coach, and he doesn't necessarily fit their system either. And when you come to the under 20s, he's expected to be the man. And when you have such a talented squad around you, that's sort of hard to distinguish yourself as that. You've seen him be lively when he's gotten into the action, but he's not necessarily so much better than everybody else that it's that that clear uh, that he is the guy. Um, I think it also doesn't help that we don't have a dis- we don't have a, a like distinguished set of nines and wingers, uh, and he's sort of played out of position instead of the midfield. Uh, and I think you've seen his weaknesses on full display; like he isn't the best finisher. Uh, which we we have uh, we have noticed he hasn't scored. I don't think he scored yet this tournament. So he's he had that own goal thing. I don't know if that counts. Yeah. But anyway, what what would you say is his best position? Where should he be deployed on the field? I mean, I think he should probably be deployed between the eight ten role. I think that's probably where he he goes best because as we've seen, he has the talent on the ball and in mm-hmm. and passing forward, and he has the ability to progress the ball forward. And I don't think there's really, as a winger, you sort of limit that. And as a striker, he's just not clinical enough. And I think uh, the ability to distribute and move the ball forward is his best uh, attribute. Let's let's move over to K. Cal. Um, he's, of course, what, probably the most elite athlete uh, on this squad. Uh, we've seen him uh, have some tremendous goals. Uh, we've seen him take players on repeatedly. We've also seen him lose the ball a lot. What, what's your thoughts on uh, Kate Cal so far in this tournament? So, as I said recently in, um, on Twitter and a few other videos, I'm not the biggest fan of Kate Cal. I think he's a good rotational guy for the squad because we don't really have any other players who are on his level just yet. 
Uh, I think Cal, you get what you get. He's almost like a Jordan Morris 2.0 or a, another Brexay type of player. He's really physical. He's really fast. He might score a few goals, uh, but he's where he hurts most is in the progression of the ball, possession game, and uh, his touch. And we need all those things to play the style we're playing at an effective rate. So uh, obviously Cal's produced a few goals this tournament, but at the same time, I think he's done just as much damage in our buildup uh, as he's helped us in the long run. Yeah, there's a lot of room or people projecting that he might be better off as like a right back or something moving forward. Is that is that a thought that you share, or do you think he? Where do you think he best projects as he continues to develop? See, I, as talking with other people, I about that specifically. I don't necessarily think he would be best there uh, because one of the key things that are required of modern day fullbacks is the build up. It's the progression of the ball through the midfield on the flank and uh he's just not technical enough to really be trusted with that i think he has the physical profile to do a great job at being a defensive uh flashy sort of fullback slash swingback it's just he doesn't have that technical side to his game that really lends its lends himself to being in that position yeah, I, I don't see much of the work rate either. Like, I don't see him getting after it defensively. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's something that'll change, or I, I don't. Maybe it's because of where he's playing on the field, but I don't know. Uh, it's just something that's that's out there. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the midfielders. Um, I, I think this is kind of uh, the the portion of the roster where a lot of people are excited about, specifically about Diego Luna. Uh, I, I think that that group stage was really like the Diego Luna show. Uh, didn't see quite as much from him uh, in the last game, um, but still a, a quality performance. What have your thoughts been on Diego Luna throughout this uh, this U twenty Concacaf Championship? No, I think he's been quite amazing. I mean, I expected him coming into the tournament to be more of a super sub type of player, which is what we needed to out of out of a person like Diego Luna. He's really made a, a name for himself and really proven himself. I think technically he has been on a whole different level than the majority of our players at this tournament uh, and just what he's looking to create. And I think one of the biggest things that I've liked about Diego Luna is, yeah, he can triple through everybody. But he still knows when it's time to pass. Uh, and he's not a, a ball hog on it. And I think that's been really great. I mean, you've seen it a few times with his link up with Quinn Sullivan for goals. Um, and I think going forward, whether that's him playing on the wing or him playing centrally, I think we're, we're pretty set for this under-20 cycle. Uh, and even continuing on to the program, I can't really wait to see what he does for RSL this upcoming year. Because I think he could be really impactful player for them. Absolutely, man. I, I can't wait to see what happens whenever he gets back to uh, Salt Lake. Uh, you mentioned um, either at the eight or on the wing. And whenever I watched a lot of the clips from him um, over at Locomotive, uh, it seemed like he was playing on the wing primarily. Um, where do you think he, he projects best? Do you think he's he's more of a winger for Salt Lake? Do you think he's more of a um, eight? And I know Salt Lake plays with two strikers, so maybe they don't even have a winger, but uh, where, where do you think he plays on the field for them? Yeah, I think he'll most likely play more central, and I think that that's probably a good thing for his long-term development. I don't know if he has like just uh, his movement off the ball and going back and forth to be a, uh, an elite high-level winger, but I, I could see that uh, centrally at the 10 spot, who's 
asked to do less in the press and uh, on defense. So I think centrally, he's also really good at his, his passing and his vision is really great. So being able to distribute to wingers and strikers is, I think, is the big benefit that you see uh, out of him. So most likely centrally. I know everybody talks about uh, his uh, endurance and can can he make it in the pro game and, and how does this translate? What do you, what do you see uh, with that discussion? I mean, I haven't seen any problems yet, and until I do, I'm not going to really question. I don't think like all these like uh, debates about his body body type and uh, stamina, and I, I haven't seen him falter yet. So why should we question him until he does? Uh, I think. Uh, We've seen we've seen this out of players before. I mean, you look at Shakiri or other players like that. Uh, like they're bigger guys, but they're not fat. They're just uh, bulk. They're just bulkier, stockier dudes who are just as gifted and just just as good at football as anybody else. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, until we see that issue emerge, not not a lot worth discussing. Uh, moving on to a player that I didn't really know about uh, coming into this tournament, but is is one that I've really enjoyed watching play, and that is Alejandro Alvarado. Um, I really like his game, and, and I think um, in, in the group stage. We didn't get to see a lot of it on display, I felt, because we just the buildup was so easy for us. We were able to get downfield. I thought against Costa Rica, whenever we faced a little bit stiffer competition, we got to see a little bit more of what he can do on the ball in, in close quarters and, and kind of in distribution. Uh, what's been your read on, on Alejandro Alvarado so far in this tournament? Um, he's had a resurgence. I mean, he's been absent from the youth national teams for a while, not of his own choice, but his club's decision. We've been trying to get him into the under-20s. Uh, his club has said no, and we finally were able to do it, and he showed his talent. Uh, Alvarado was with LA Galaxy before moving to Vizela with Mendez uh, just uh, about a year ago, and he's just as... He's better than when he left, and he was great back then, so... I think Alvarado is a true eight is something who's re- somebody who's really interesting. And I don't know how many players out of this current U20 camp uh, will be a, maybe a consistent national team call up. But if I had to choose one, it probably would be Alvarado just because of the way he plays. Yeah. It, he, he just has these little moments on the ball and it's, you watch this team and, there, and there's players that have big highlights, you know, like Pax and Aronson scoring goals or uh, Caden Clark or Diego Luna taking players on, stuff like that. But Alvarado just has these subtle moments that you could just tell are going to translate uh, to the higher level. And he, he just seems like a type of player with, with a comfort on the ball and a passing range uh, that can go all over the field that just seems like he has a lot of tools to translate. Now, moving on to the other midfielders, I got to be honest, whenever I'm looking at uh, Edelman and McGlynn and Pukstas and Sakaris, I'm, I'm having trouble deciphering from a lot of these guys, and not a lot of them have really shown up in, in big ways uh, for me. How do you rank rank the, those midfielders? Uh, so I think McGlynn has a pretty pretty great tournament, uh, especially when you're looking at how like the build up and possessive game that we've been trying. He to did play. have that big goal. I mean, that no, goal was really impressive. Goal. Yeah, but uh, other than that, just uh, his progressive carries, his key passes. Uh, big chances created have been very impressive. Um, I think Puskas has established himself as someone who could play the six. We, we didn't really think that. He hasn't really gotten to play the eight yet, so I'd like to see him there. That's his natural position where he plays in Croatia. Uh, and then the other two, 
Edelman is Edelman. He's a six who has a high motor and is good at defense, but not good in possession and can't really hold the ball. And then uh, Nico is an 05. He's the youngest player on the team right now. And he sort of just called in as that like last last man sort of sort of guy. He's just a rotational piece that can be used uh, to rest. Uh, and he's not necessarily bad, but I don't think he's necessarily ready for this stage. And there's definitely some players, especially 05, so I would have called over him uh, specifically. So for you, it's it's Pukstas and McGlynn as the as the two that are in, in Edelman and Sakaris are kind of uh, yeah. off to the side. Yeah, it, Pukstas has had some nice moments in this tournament defensively. It's it's weird because we've just had so much possession and, and we haven't had been under threat very much in this tournament to really evaluate these guys as you should be able to evaluate a midfield. You know, it's everybody looks great whenever the opposition can't hold onto the ball and you can just progress the ball upfield anytime you want. Um, uh, but let's let's move back a, a layer. Let's go back to the defenders. And, you know, whenever I see the discourse on social media and stuff surrounding this team, um, a lot of people are saying that the defense is the weak spot in this team. And people are concerned about, you know, the center backs and, and, and the fullbacks as we um, move forward against tougher competition. Uh, wh- first of all, what do you think about that? Is that a fair uh, description of this particular squad or you think it's it's just a little bit of conjecture because we haven't run we we haven't seen those guys under much pressure so far i think it's um i think it's a yes or no answer i think uh there's i think there's points to be worried when you're talking about our fullbacks i i don't think the backups uh the backup michael halliday really has the versatility to provide uh, enough rotation for our key starter in Mauricio Cuevas, who's been fantastic. Cuevas has been great going forward on the dribble, in possession. He's been a little shaky at defense at times, but that's only when he's been playing left back. When he's been playing right back, he's locked down. So I think Halliday being the guy that they called isn't necessarily was not necessarily the right decision, especially when you have players who are versatile enough to play on both sides of the field instead of just one, uh, which Michael Halliday can only play on one. And I think that's really going to, you might see an impact later on in how tired Mauricio Cuevas is, if he is or not, uh, and that could impact our total game. Now to the center backs, I think they've been fine for the most part. Before we go to the center backs, let's let's talk full backs for a second more, man. I, I want to no, no get problem. more thoughts on uh, Mauricio Cuevas because he's been the one that I think everybody circled as like uh, the star of the fullbacks. He's playing it over at uh, Club Bruges in uh, Belgium. What do you think his ceiling is as a um, as, as a player? No, I think he's extremely talented. Uh, he's definitely more offensively gifted than a player like Julian Araujo, uh, who played for Galaxy, which he left. Um, I think he probably has a similar ceiling, though. I think uh, Araujo is like much better defensively, and I think more consistent defensively. Um, but I think he might have a chance to compete for minutes at Bruges this season, I think. He's proven from a technical and offensive standpoint to be a very competent, if not a brilliant player so far at an under-20 level. Um, and just that reintegration. And it really makes you wonder if he hadn't had missed this past year where he could actually have been. Um, but no, he's an extremely talented player. 
All right, let's let's move on to the center backs now. I think the two that we've seen a lot of has been uh, Jalen Neal and Brandon Craig. Um, Brandon Craig has hit some really nice passes. I mean, out of nowhere, just cross field, long diagonals, dry, John Brooks style, just really nice passes. Uh, those two players, what, what are your thoughts on them as, as a center back pairing? No, I think they've been fairly solid. I mean, there's always going to be questions about, like, their uh, physicality out of those two and if they're going to get caught on caught on the counter. But until we've really seen that be an issue, I'm not too worried about it. I think in the possession game, there's no one in this current camp that comes close to playing center, center, uh, in center back. And I think unless you get, like, a Justin Shea, you don't really see any, ben- like, a, a better uh, possessive duo uh, out of, out of them, maybe Kobe Henry, but I'm I'm not too sold on that. I think both have been really good um, at distributing the ball and also progressing it up the field uh, and breaking lines. So I've been quite impressed by. Them. Do you think either of these two guys have a have a national team future ahead of them? What What are your thoughts on their ceilings? I think that's a really interesting question, especially with some of the other center backs that are coming up around them. I mean, you see just you see Justin Shea, who's obviously 18-year-old center back at Hoffenheim. I mean, he's already made his debut at Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga at 18 center back, which is really impressive. And then you see a few guys who are a bit older than them, and George Campbell, Jonathan Tompkinson, uh, who um, I, I rate highly, and then a few guys who are younger than them, Josh Winder who's been amazing for Louisville, and, of course, Kobe Henry is another name. So it's going to be a battle, but that's good because the more depth we have in the position, the better. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a guarantee, but I also wouldn't count it out. They definitely have uh, the, the technical ability and the style of game that we're looking for in a modern center back. Now, you're mentioning a, a few of the players that are in this class but aren't on this team because they have either their clubs wouldn't release them or, or whatever other reason. Um, I know that we, when we look at youth teams like this, the goal is for maybe two or three players to become uh, senior national team quality down the road, uh, big contributors in that way. Um, and I know with this class, they already have Ricardo Pepe, who's established himself as senior team quality and will likely be with the national team for a long period of time as he continues to progress. Uh, but overall, tell me about this class. It, w- what do you think of the quality of this class and, and include some of the players that aren't with this squad, like Kevin Paredes or potentially uh, Jonathan Gomez, uh, some of the guys like that. Uh, how do you think that this class has developed in, in comparison to some of the previous U.S. Men's National Team youth teams? The quality of this class, I think it could be one of the best. And we obviously have a year until the World Cup. Um, so that's a lot of development periods. And when you throw in players like Paredes and Che and Kobe Henry and potentially even Jonathan Gomez because of – um, Mexico missing out on the under-20 World Cup, so he might be an option for our under-20 team. And then also a player like Gaga Slonina. You could really see the level and ceiling of this class uh, go much higher than it currently is. Um, now, the under-20 squad from a few years ago, that's probably been our best in a long time. And I don't know if we're necessarily going to be better than them, but I wouldn't necessarily throw it out of the water. And I could see a very deep under-20 uh, World Cup run. Yeah, that class had Tim Weah, Chris Richard, Serginio Dest, three guys who have become massive, um, high-quality participants 
uh, for the national team. And they've had some other guys on that squad as well that could potentially be uh, big players down the road. But if we if this class is able to produce three guys who contribute on that level, it would be a very good thing. Now, we also mentioned the um, Olympics, which if the U.S. Uh, win the next game, they're going to be qualified for the Olympics for the first time in a long time. And the Olympics is a under-23 tournament. So who are some players that would be uh, eligible for that tournament who may not necessarily be eligible for the U-20 World Cup? Uh, there's quite a few. All the players you just mentioned uh, would be eligible. So our O2s, O1s, so anybody under 23. And then we can also take three over 23 players. Um, and I think that's a really big deal because all of we'll basically have access to every O1. So basically our entire – we can bring almost our entire first team for the most part to this to this Olympic tournament if we don't have another major tournament that – um that year so that's a really big deal i mean just think about having Eunice musa Gio reyna all the o2s at the olympics and you also get pulisic mckinney adams those types of players uh, that could be really exciting and really fun yeah that would be unbelievable man i i it seems like there's just so much fixture congestion now that i i don't know how we'd be able to prioritize the olympics i i haven't looked down the road at the calendar but it would be Boy, would that be fun if we got to have those guys and, and legitimately have a shot at, at winning the Olympics or at least, you know, getting to the final or something like that. That would be massive. Now, we stopped short of talking about the goalkeepers. Um, there's two goalkeepers on this roster. Antonio Carrera, uh, who is recovering from a uh, karate kick to the back following the uh, Costa Rica game. And uh, Christopher Brady, who's, who seems to have established himself as a starter. Interesting thing about uh, Christopher Brady is he plays at Chicago Fire alongside uh, Gaga Salanina, who you just mentioned, who is uh, being recruited currently by Chelsea and Real Madrid, um, which is a wild thing to say about an 18-year-old goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, so tell me about these two keepers um, and, and what your thoughts, on, thoughts have been about those two uh, so far in this tournament. No, I think they've both been good. I think I've wanted a bit more out of Brady in certain certain circumstances, particularly the the Canada game. Uh, but they've both been great, and I think they're in great spots going forward for the for their club situations. I think Brady's a fantastic uh, shot stopper. He may be a, not necessarily all the way there. Uh, with his feet, but he is great on uh, on uh, shot stopping. And I think similar things could be said with Antonio Carrera, who's an amazing shot stopper, maybe a bit more with his feet. But I think they can both get there, and they're both extremely talented players. I mean, goalie is probably our deepest position for the under-20s, in my opinion, other than the midfield. And it's wild how many great goalies we have in these this 03-04 category. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of sting out of it whenever you, you see these keepers in action, knowing that, the oh, by the way, the U.S. also has Gaga Slanina, who is, uh, might be the best goalkeeper in the world at his age group at this point in time right now. Uh, so we have one of the elite keeper prospects in world football uh, who's not participating in this tournament. Uh, so that, you know, seeing the goalkeepers not be you know, the, among the best in the tournament is it takes a little bit of sting out of that. But, you know, I, I do want to ask you, I, I don't know how much you, you know about um, players for the opposition players, but uh, in the last game we saw the Costa Rican keeper was tremendous. 
Uh, do you know much about that player? And, and no, I don't know too much. I don't. I don't know too much about him. And I, he was spectacular. We've seen a few spectacular goalkeeper performances uh, in this tournament. Last night, we saw the Guatemalan goalkeeper have an absolute insane game, blocking four penalties throughout the entirety of the game. That's just just crazy stuff. I don't think Chris Brady has been bad this tournament, but he hasn't had that really hasn't had the need to have a, a amazing show-stopping performance. He's been sort of almost bored at the back because he hasn't seen too much action. And I, I really do think, and I mean, and this is to, this is to Brady's, Brady's laurels. I, a lot of people rate him extremely highly. I know some people in Chicago Fire uh, System who rate, rated him even higher than Gaga before Gaga uh, really had his breakout, so he's he's considered among the elite, uh, especially in MLS. And Antonio Carrera isn't far behind him uh, with FC Dallas. And you know, players we haven't even mentioned like Dune Snuff and and Alex Barto out of Fulham. So there's quite a few players uh, who are um, amazing at this goalkeeper position. Have a ton of top end talent. Yeah. It- Top end talent is, is a great way to describe it. You know, um, for so long, whenever people would talk about um, the U.S. national team or, or the way that the United States develops players, um, they would say the U.S. develops uh, very physical players, very aggressive players, uh, two way players uh, that gave a lot of effort, but are, are a bit lacking in the technical and tactical side of things. And I, I think I've seen throughout this tournament that these players have a tactical sense of awareness that is just beyond even the U20s from the last cycle that those that team had some really great individual players but the way that they played the game and the way they understood the game I don't think is on par with this group this group just seems to um, play soccer a really a really attractive brand of soccer at a really high level do you feel like that um that that idea that the U.S. is unable to produce technical players or, or tactical players at the standard of the rest of the world, is that slowly becoming a thing of the past? You know, I, I do. I think you see it at all levels of the youth games right now, um, especially even amongst the younger kids uh, than the other 20s. I think, I think the U19s and the U17s are at a level um, – for their football IQ that we haven't really seen before at this age, especially the U-17s, especially. If you if you ever get to the chance to watch, and this is to anybody, if you ever get a chance to watch Portugal versus the U.S., which we played um, in May, uh, we played the most beautiful football I've ever seen a youth national team play. Uh, possessive style, uh, playing out of the back, our... our 15-year-old center backs had the ability to outdo a high press against um, uh, Portugal's players, and uh, we won two to two to one, and it was just a phenomenal, a phenomenal game where you really saw the saw the showcase of the talent um, and the understanding of the game from yeah. these teams. Uh, so, I really think we're heading in the right direction with that. Now, is it to the level of maybe Brazil or France or France or any of those t- big, amazing nations? I, I wouldn't say so just yet, but it's we're definitely getting there, and that's what's important. Yeah, 
To your point, I was watching uh, Generation Adidas tournament this weekend, and I was watching some of the uh, MLS Next championship this weekend. And uh, I remember I, I, in the Generation Adidas tournament, I saw, um, I, I can't remember the MLS team, but they were playing River Plate, and Cruz Medina was on that team. Uh, yeah. and, and just the, the, um, the, I think it was U15s or U16s, but just the, the quality of soccer those kids were playing was just I mean, phenomenal compared to um, what I'm used to seeing from like uh, youth teams in the United States where it's a yeah. lot of like kick it long and chase it. They were not doing that. They were playing really impressive soccer. And Cruz Matina was an absolute stud, man. He yeah. had some really nice moments in that game. Uh, let, let's uh, before we close out, you know, speaking of Cruz Medina, uh, we, we've been focusing heavily on this this U20 group because that's the group that's in the tournament right now. Who are some other players out there that might be even younger uh, within the American system that that you have your eye on? And I, I specifically want to ask about Kavan, um, Kavan um, Sullivan. Help me out. Yes. Kevon Sullivan over at Dortmund, because I've seen a few headlines uh, about him lately um, as, as a guy who could potentially be like this next superstar. Uh, are, are there guys that are um, maybe not at the U20 level yet, but are looking like they could be potential just absolute studs for the U.S. in the future? Yeah, no, uh, there's quite a few. I mean, I've already mentioned one of them earlier in the video, and he's not with the under-20s right now, and he's a bit too young for that, in my opinion, too. But uh, uh, Josh Winder, um, center back for Louisville. I think he's been phenomenal for them for these past few years, and I think he has a really high ceiling. And then when you go even a bit younger, you get, an, I think, probably the best midfield crop we've ever had ever in the 06s, which is Adrian Gill from Barcelona, Jude Wellings, RSL, uh, Cruz Medina, and then you also have Pedro Soma, who plays in Spain, Edwin Mendoza out of San Jose, Bento Estrella if he chooses us, and then who plays for New York Red Bull, but he's playing for Portugal right now. Matthew Corcoran, who's playing USL. So there's there's quite a few names in that 06s. Andre Gattel. There's just a lot of exciting players who I think could be that lotto ticket. Uh, who you don't know could really succeed. And then to your to your question about Kavan, Kavan is an 09. Uh, so he's really young. He's really young, 13. He's, but he's Quinn Sullivan's younger brother. He's currently playing with Philadelphia, um, but he does have a lot of interest overseas, and that's from Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Ajax, and, of course, where I think he's going to go long-term, uh, Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund have shown a high interest to him. He's trialed there multiple times. He just he's played with their under 15s at the age of 12, which is an insane feat uh, for a 12 year old. And he's really looking incredible. I mean, he's already starting to take over games at the age of 12. He's the best player on the pitch at the age of 12 against 15 year olds. That's really crazy to say because there's a big gap there in physical presence. And his technical ability is just something to be. In awe of. And if he's anything like his older brother Quinn and his dad physically, he's he's set because they're they're really really that they have it all there. Really physical specimens almost. So I'm excited. Uh take it with a grain of salt though, because he's he's thirteen. So Yeah, absolutely. A lot can happen between the age of thirteen and I guess like 
18, 22, whatever. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with these youth players. But Gideon, I appreciate you coming on and, and painting a picture of the uh, the the U20s and beyond. Uh, you have an incredible uh, knowledge of these players and these prospects, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us. Before we go, can you tell everybody where they can uh, find your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Gideon Suth. Uh, you can also find uh, our, our live Twitter spaces at First Touch Space. And if you want to read some articles about youth players, uh, you can find me on Chasing a Cup. Absolutely. Gideon Sutherland, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, for Gideon, my name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.